On today's episode, we are talking about what should I know about relationships. And before we go into the episode, I want to acknowledge that when we're talking about relationships, we are talking about relationships where both people are safe. If you find yourself in a relationship where you are not safe, a crisis line in the Twin Cities is for women's advocates is 651-227-8284. Let's head into the episode. Retreat House Podcast, where we gather at the table to hear each other's stories. I'm your host, Angie Smith, and I am so glad that you're here. Please pull up a chair and join us. Welcome to the table. I am really looking forward to today's conversation. Today we are talking about what should I know about relationships, or what should I know about doing relationships well. And when I thought about wanting to cover this topic, I immediately thought of a pastor that we had at our church, Sid Veenstra, and he has been in ministry for nearly 50 years. He was at the church, Calvary, that I go to for 28 years. Yeah, he has been a blessing in my life and in my marriage. And when I thought about doing relationships well, I really wanted to ask Sid to come and be on the show. Uh, to give you an idea of his commitment to relationships, even after he, quote, retired from ministry, he is now working at Arden Woods Counseling Center, counseling couples who are planning on getting married or who are married. So welcome to the show, Pastor Sid. Thank you, Angie. So we've talked a little bit before we started recording about this topic. What should I know about relationships? Where... Where do you think that you would like to start talking about that topic? As we talked, relationships in general are such a broad topic. And I don't think we spend a lot of time thinking about what relationships are, should be, could be. Uh, We just kind of barge into them. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, as we barge in, they either work they don't work, they're useful, beneficial to us, or they're not. And so when you ask me to talk about this, even though I've worked in this area most of my life, I really had to sit down and do some thinking about Mm -hmm. what are relationships, where do they come from, how do we make them happen, why do some of them succeed, why do some of them fail, and so, yeah, it's it's a really broad topic. So it is. Let's, yeah. uh, so we might jump around a little we're bit. Gonna, we're going to jump around. <laughs> yeah. A few rabbit trails coming yeah, up. Yeah, right. Rabbit trails are good. Yeah. So do you want to start out and maybe share a little bit about relation? You know how you've experienced relationships in your own life? Let me start out, first of all, with profound definition <laughs> from Webster's Dictionary. <laughs> and the definition first was... A relationship is a state of being connected. Okay. That's profound, isn't mm-hmm, it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Then the second part of it is the way two or more people behave towards each other. Well, that's equally <laughs> profound. <laughs> right. Right. And that's the podcast. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Goodbye now. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, 
as I thought about it and thought about my own journey, and you know me well, mm-hmm. uh, relationships are a pretty significant part of who I am. Mm-hmm. And I tried to reflect back on where that started, how it started, and why it became such a significant part of my life. So I reflected back on my own family. Mm. And families is where relationships right. start. Or where, And also the first place that we learn how to do them or how to survive, depending upon. Or how not to do them. Mm-hmm. Right. So I reflected on my family, and we're going to come back to the, the family of origin later on. But um, my own family, my dad was extremely relational. Mm. Um, he loved God. Uh, he loved his wife. He loved his children. He loved people. And he had relationships all over the place. Mm. And if he didn't know somebody, you wouldn't know it. And my brother and my favorite story of our dad was uh, he was in a mall out on the East Coast where my brother lived. And he saw a man walking uh, in the mall. And he went up, put his hand out and says, Joe, how are you? How's your day? And my brother's just standing there saying, who is this guy? <laughs> and my dad talks to him for a while, and he comes back, and my brother says, who is that guy? How do you know him? Well, I don't know him. He just had his name tag on his <laughs> shirt. shirt and said, Joe. So he just started. So that's the way my dad did life. Mm-hmm. My mother on the other side was non-relational. Um, she was fearful. Mm-hmm. She struggled with depression, and I think a lot of anger. And there's a uh, a big backstory to that. But the biggest thing for her is she had an accent, and she thought people wouldn't like her. Mm. So uh, between the two of them, you can begin to imagine what that looked like. Uh, I had no question that both mom and dad loved me. We had good relationships. But for my dad, the relational person with my mom, who didn't like relationships, mm-hmm. it was a tension. Right. I fortunately got more of my dad than my mom. Right. My brother got more of my mom. Mm-hmm. Um, where it gets interesting is uh, uh, my parents immigrated from Holland and uh, landed in Wisconsin, and we lived in a neighborhood where in a two-block radius we had over 120 kids. Wow. You have to figure out how to do relationships. Right. Uh, One family had eight, Mm -hmm. one family had 10, and one family had 18. Oh, my goodness. All in the same house. (laughs) And uh, it was was a fun neighborhood. We did a lot of fun things, uh, be it sports, building underground forts, uh, tree houses. But a lot of times... The relationships really got divided by the big family versus the small family. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, some of those relationships weren't very good. But I reflect on it and I think, wow, um, how did we decide mm-hmm. who to have a relationship mm-hmm. with and who not to? Well, and in that, it sounds like, which I think we do a lot, the people that are most like us, yep. we are the people that we're, we're drawn to. That is very true. So my closest friend uh, during high school uh, was a friend from church. Um, He was a leader. I was a follower. And wherever he went, I went. 
which was not a healthy relationship, but mm -hmm. it worked well for us. Uh, on graduation, I went off to school, and I, at that point, probably was more of an introvert than an extrovert, mm -hmm. and so it was hard for me to build relationships. But as I moved out of that, um, I found myself building relationships with a lot of different people. Um, some of those people are still friends today. Mm -hmm. uh, for instance, um, I have had two men in my life that became uh, not only good relationships, but became friends and became mentors. Mm. And we poured into each other's lives mm -hmm. uh, in ways that uh, it, we could take three podcasts to describe <laughs> all those. Um, those relationships were incredible. Um, one of the friendships, he and his wife, and my wife and I uh, did ministry together mm -hmm. um, in a church. Then uh, uh, we did ministry together at Calvary, and uh, we also did ministry together in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, we had, um, those were really incredibly important relationships. Mm -hmm. Both of them have passed away. I have another friend who was at the church that I was at when Char and I got married, and he has been my primary mentor for 47 years. Wow. And we still do relationship together. Mm -hmm. So those are the kinds of things that, uh, why do they click? Um, you know, why is there a state of connection? Mm -hmm. um, I don't have a simple answer to that. Mm -hmm. um, I have another friendship, um, and uh, uh, she and her husband got married the same day that Char and I got married, um, same time, mm -hmm. two different countries, mm -hmm. and we ended up being next-door neighbors. Wow. And uh, Char and her started building a relationship by exchanging duplicate gifts from our wedding. Oh. <laughs> um, uh, she unfortunately went through a divorce with a small child, so our mm -hmm. friendship grew by just being a friend to her. She remarried. Mm -hmm. uh, we ended up working on staff together, and uh, then her second husband passed away a number of years ago, and I was there. We were there, but I was there for her and did her husband's funeral. Mm -hmm. An incredibly important relationship. Mm -hmm. And then I have one other relationship that I just have to refer to because I met him as a youth pastor, he grew up in the church, went off to the armed forces, learned some not so good habits. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we just spent inordinate hours together, uh, usually after a ministry program on Friday nights, and I'd be pouring coffee down him uh, just to get him somewhat sober, and uh, ended up standing up in his wedding. And uh, to this day, he calls me his best friend. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't always understand that. Uh, the sad thing for me is, uh, even though when we see each other, we have a great time, we don't see each other that often. Thank you for sharing that, because I think it's helpful for people to know kind of the, you know, the background of where you're coming from and a little bit of your story. Um, I realized as you were talking, we forgot to mention that you're married to Shar and have two children and two um, children in... Love is that what you call them, or we, covenant? We call we we say we have four children, two by birth and two by covenant. covenant that's yep. what it is. Yep. And how many grandchildren? Five. Five. Nice. 
Yes. So that's another important relationship that you have in your life is with all of them. Okay. So when we are thinking about that question, what should I know about relationships in in what you've learned in your own relationships that you've had? And then also sitting across the table from, you know, people that you've pastored, people that you've uh, counseled that are, you know, in in premarital counseling or after they're married. And I, I guess I'm just thinking about all the experience that you've had with families and the exposure that you've had to families and the joining of those two families and how, at least I noticed this when I got married, you know, I, like I never would have described my family as crazy and I never would have described Todd's family as uptight's not the right word, but a little like calmer. Okay. But when the two came together to see the contrast of the two, I thought, oh my goodness, my family is a little crazy. And his family's a little, I don't mean uptight, but a little more. Um, Wound a little tighter. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And so it was interesting to see those come together. So just thinking yep. about all the experience that you've had, that's why I wanted to come to you with a question, what should we know about relationships? So what should we know specifically about doing relationships well? It's a great question, and the answer is broad. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to go back to uh, just having friendships. Mm-hmm. Who becomes a friend? How do they become a friend? Why are they a friend? Um, why do friendships break up? Because mm-hmm. um, some of that just doesn't make sense. And you can give it a spiritual twist. You can give it a psychological twist. You can give it a practical twist. But here's my twist. Mm-hmm. My twist starts here. Relationships trump being right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've heard you say that before, and I've said that to myself several times. Say it again so people hear it. Relationships trump being right. What I'm saying is relationships are more important than having to be right. Mm -hmm. Now, don't get me wrong. There are probably some arenas where being right is important. Mm -hmm. But when it gets in the way of a relationship, then we have to be very careful. Mm -hmm. Think about it for a minute. If you have to be right with said friend, said child, said spouse, said coworker, or the person that you assume might become a spouse, if you have to be right, and that's more important than a relationship, the relationship is virtually impossible. Because then that makes all of them always wrong. That's correct. Because you always have to be right. Mm-hmm. And being right is a control piece. Being right is manipulative. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and, you know, we don't get that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I just have to be right. Um, okay. But how destructive is it to your relationship? Um, I tried to find the author to this, but I couldn't find it. But Uh, She said this, people who care more about being right than ending right Mm. prove how wrong they were all along. Mm. I find that a profound um, but a very significant statement in trying to figure out this relational piece. 
Now, I, I told you earlier about the friendships that I had. There were a lot of friendships that I had that were short-term. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you why. Um, they weren't important. I don't know that I ever thought about, oh, you know, this relationship is more important than being right. Because at that point, I had no idea what right was anyway, <laughs> other than being good and don't do this and all that kind of stuff. But later on in life, uh, particularly in, in ministry, uh, there's people you connect with and people you don't connect with. And you watch people do that, uh, people who... Uh, want to be in relationships, uh, uh, may it be just a friendship. Uh, but then when it goes from there to a dating relationship, to moving from that to uh, engagement in planning on getting married, to being married and having a family, uh, and then watching fracture families, mm. what happens in those relationships? I was watching uh, Good Morning America this morning, and mm-hmm. Hillary Swank was on, and an actress, and she just spent three years taking care of her dad who had major physical illnesses, and he's doing well. Mm-hmm. So she's back on the small screen. Her statement that kind of drives her mm-hmm. is make a choice and make it happen. Well, that's a nice statement, mm-hmm. and it might be a good statement for her, but there's a little bit of this uh, I've made my choice, I'm going to make it happen. Uh, so this is right for me, and get out of the way. Mm -hmm. Now, she didn't Mm -hmm. say that, and I'm just reading into it, and Mm -hmm. there may be none of that in it. I'm going to go back to uh, the whole idea of uh, having a relationship, building a relationship with uh, another person, being connected in a friendship or further, and allowing them to be who they are, and being connected and letting something come out of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I, I think for me, watching people, working with people, listening to people, this statement has become very, very powerful in that process. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it's creating a space of grace. Like I was thinking about what you were saying about letting people be who they are and allowing friends to be who they are. And it makes me think about in relationships that I've had where I have felt like they weren't giving space for me to grow and for me to, you know, I was pigeonholed into you are like this, but there had been some growth and I still had that tendency, but wasn't really operating in that as much (laughs) anymore. And I realized that I was also pigeonholing that person. As much as I was wanting grace, I wasn't giving it. I wasn't allowing for growth in their life either. And I, so I appreciate what you're saying because I, I think that's important to, to have grace and to create space in the grace in the space of the relationship for that person to be who they are and to also grow. That they may not necessarily always be who they are today. Does that make sense? Well, it makes a lot of sense, and I've spent my whole life in the church, and so this is gonna, it's gonna sound a little critical, mm-hmm. but I think the church has put us in that position mm. because over the years, we have told what is right and what is wrong, mm-hmm. and then as a result of that, 
uh, almost making us fearful mm-hmm. of developing relationships outside of that little sphere of right or wrong. I grew up in a an extremely legalistic church. Mm-hmm. I tell people uh, it was all do's and don'ts. The only problem is there are only three do's. Mm-hmm. Go to church every time the door is open, read your Bible and pray. Uh, but the don'ts were, I mean, the Ten Commandments looked really pretty short mm-hmm. compared to... <laughs> yeah. But I was also encouraged and discouraged to stay away from anything that looked like it was wrong. Mm-hmm. Even when a good friend of mine as a sophomore in high school took her own life, mm. I couldn't go to her funeral because she was of a different religious background. Nobody talked about it. And I had just lost a really good friend. Mm-hmm. I still grieve that today. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's, mm-hmm. that's the kind of thing that uh, the church did. I think churches still do that in some ways, although I think our churches have become much more graceful. But there's a, uh, there's a sense of doing life that is much bigger than just the small world that the church keeps us in if we're not careful. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whether it's at work, whether it's at school, whether it's in our neighborhoods, uh, whether it's at the YMCA, wherever you're going to be, Mm -hmm. building relationships out of that little network is really important. Right, which, I mean, as you were talking, that made me think of the way that Jesus did relationships and the way that he did life. And who was he seeking? I mean, his disciples were, you know, other... Jewish men, but even in that, they weren't the elite. Mm-hmm. And and then where were they going? They were going to the, quote, wrong mm-hmm. people, and that's who they were spending time with. So even that <clears throat> example of relationships, you would think I would have thought of that earlier, <laughs> asking that question about how did Jesus do relationships? Because I think he's all about relation. I mean, he's all about relationship, and the reason why he came was to Restore, restore a severed relationship. That's correct. Yeah, that's right. correct. Uh, the biblical narrative is uh, really interesting because, uh, aside from the first five days of creation, when uh, the heavens and the earth and the trees and the animals and the fish and all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. the next creation, God says, was His best, mm-hmm. and it was a relational creation of man and woman, who. Uh, were put in a position of doing life together, horizontally, uh, vertically, and then caring for creation. And at the end of it, God says, this is the best part mm-hmm. of all of creation. It's a masterpiece. I think that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It goes south really quick. Yeah. yeah but, uh, <laughs> but I think that's part of the issue that we have to deal with and understand and recognize that we are all in our relational journey affected by uh, disobedience and uh, uh, what that has caused, which ultimately the Bible says God made a covenant. He made promises of the Christ child coming to restore us. Mm-hmm. And it's in that restored position that we get to work on the relationships in a healthy way. Yeah. And it's, he's such a great example of how to do mm-hmm. relationships as mm-hmm. well. So we've talked about kind of that, the, the topic of not always having to be right, right. in yeah. a relationship. When you've seen people doing, someone doing relationships well across the different kinds of relationships they've had, 
is there a I hesitate to say, I hesitate to say behavior or is there something about them that seems to make them do relationships well something something about them or maybe something that they if you want to, if, to go on the flip side something negative that they kind of dealt with to prevent them from not doing relationships well that's a very broad <laughs> and loaded <Sorry>. question <laughs> and uh uh, the answer to your question simply is yes, uh, but I'm going to put a but on it. Okay. Because I think there are a lot of pieces that go into relationships that we don't often stop to think about. Mm -hmm. uh, part of it is psychological. Mm -hmm. um, just understanding who you are from a Myers-Briggs perspective, are you an introvert or an extrovert? Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a huge impact on your, how you're going to do relationships. Right, right. Um, and they, it's said that opposites attract. Yeah, that's true. But you better figure out how you're going to do the opposite right. because they're different. Right. Well, and when you talk about Myers-Briggs, Todd and I are exactly opposite. Sarah and I are too. <laughs> yeah, which creates some conflict yep. in our relationship. Yep. But also gives me a, a different point of view on the world or on a topic or issue than if it was someone that was more like-minded. So let's go back to relationship trumps being right. Mm -hmm. If Todd said, Angie, you're wrong, do it my way. Yeah, it's usually me saying that. I'm trying, <laughs> to, be, be I'm trying to be nice. I know. <laughs> so uh, the psychological issues, mm -hmm. and and that's, uh, uh, that's really a pretty benign one. But it's a pretty profound one when you think about it. Mm -hmm. But then you go to uh, uh, the situations that come out of uh, uh, family of origin stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, I watched my mom. She struggled with depression. I, for the life of me, couldn't figure that out. And even later on in life, when I watched that become more and more evident and tried to get her help, and she wouldn't get help, mm. um, I just look at my dad and say, wow. I mean, he, he served her for 55 years. Mm. Pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. So uh, let me backtrack just a little bit on your question because as I'm working with couples who are either dating, not engaged, or engaged, looking towards a wedding. Years ago, I used to focus on uh, John and Susan. And they're this couple, and and uh, you're getting to know each other, and, and let's talk about how you're doing life and how you're doing communication and how you're doing conflict resolution and are you having fun together and all these kinds of things. Mm -hmm. But it was in a vacuum. Mm. Then I did my doctoral work, and all of a sudden, a world opened up. And the world was family of origin. Mm -hmm. And family of origin that you've already alluded to really has a profound impact on who you are, who Todd is, who Shar is, who I am. Mm -hmm. um, and all the things that I looked at from this couple's point of view as individuals, I began to explore as uh, they are a product of their family of origin. Mm -hmm. And so... Uh, I communicated like my family communicated, and it wasn't very good. Mm. 
Shar communicated as her family communicated, but she was uh, in boarding school nine months out of every year. Mm-hmm. So uh, as far as a family of origin and family system, uh, she didn't learn it there either. Uh, then uh, uh, that leads to, how are you going to do conflict? Mm-hmm. Well, my mother, uh, she did conflict by stuffing it. Mm-hmm and passive-aggressively forcing her way on the family system. Mm -hmm. I can do that really well, (laughs) and it doesn't work really well. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had to figure that out. So when we start exploring family of origin with couples, what we want to do and what's important is not to make one family look good Mm -hmm. or look bad. It's both of them are significant because they're your family. Mm -hmm. And let's understand that they're your family. And some of you have learned some things that might not be helpful in your relationship. What are you going to do with those? Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, what I want them to do is be able to look at his, hers, and ours. And how does ours come out of his and hers? Mm -hmm. Um, And I tell parents when I get a chance, there's some of the things that your kids will do that they'll adopt. There's some of the things that your kids will do uh, uh, that you did that they'll adapt. Mm -hmm. And some of it they will abandon and they'll say, we don't want to do that. And that's where you're going to struggle because it was part of you and you think it's important and it needs to be a part of them but you gotta let it go mm-hmm. and you know how hard that is for parents <laughs> i can only imagine <laughs> i mean i uh, we have two married kids and uh, they're great kids they have great families but they don't do things mm-hmm. like char and i did or do mm-hmm. and uh, sometimes we'd like to say think about this mm-hmm. if they ask we can tell them. Mm-hmm. But if they don't ask, relationships, more, more important than being right. Being right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think of it as even with something, because I grew up in a household that there was an unspoken right way to do everything and a wrong way. There weren't different ways. It was right and wrong. Okay. And then when we, like there was a right way to fold towels, for example. And I remember being very conscious of this, at least with the towels and with loading the dishwasher, that, no, there's not a right way and a wrong way. There's There are different ways. You know, if Todd folds the towels, I'm going to be grateful that he folded the towels. Now, I might go back to the closet to make them all fit. I might fold them the same way just to make them fit, but I don't generally do that. But I, I so I understand what you're saying about the family of origin coming into your re, your relationship. And that family of origin piece is not just significant to couples who are planning on life together. Uh, it impacts you in every relationship mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and who you're going to be with and uh, uh, how you think about those people. And uh, if your family uh, had issues with other people, uh, ethnicity, religious, mm-hmm. you bring that with you. Mm-hmm. And are you going to have a relationship with people who are different with you? 
remember that a relationship is a connection. I relish connections that aren't like me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like to make them. I used to go to the Y and play racquetball with people, and I didn't like telling them what I did because as soon as I told them, mm-hmm. they were different people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, mm-hmm. that's not what I'm about. Right. But I didn't always function that way because I grew up in a very legalistic context where you only hung around with people like you. The same. Well, and what we said at the beginning, too, that that's where, like, the kids in the neighborhood, they were drawn to the people that were like them. And I think in the last couple of years, I would say maybe a little bit more than that, I I didn't realize that I was doing that, that I was going to where it was comfortable. And the idea of being uncomfortable and going to uncomfortable places well it made me uncomfortable (laughs) and but then i you know was praying and really wanting to not be like that anymore i wanted to understand more about other cultures and other to understand about other religions um which is always through the lens of who i am and what i believe but all of a sudden that comfort wasn't comfortable anymore that i had to break out of that and start seeking out people that were different than me that have had a different life. And I even think about it in the way that I view God, that to know people who know Christ, who are from different parts of the world, it's like, I always use the example of, it's like I'm looking at a statue of of God, of who God is, and I'm on one side and that's all I can see is my one side of God, but talking to other people about how they're experiencing God, how they know God, how they experience scripture gives me, helps me to see the other sides of the statue and gives me a fuller picture of who he is. And if I don't seek relationships with people that are different, then I'm even going to have a one-sided view of who God is True. as well. True. The God piece of relationships is very significant Mm -hmm. and to understand god in a very in in a much broader context than typically we want to uh you know god's in this little box and he wants us to live in that little box god's big right god's sovereign Mm -hmm. um god is a god of love god is a covenant god uh, but god says when you mess up there's consequences uh, so we, we've got to keep all of that in perspective. But I think the biggest piece about a God relationship is understanding how much he loved and the ability that he demonstrated for forgiveness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's a piece that I have come to realize in relationships that has really gotten lost. So let's say it's a friendship relationship and uh, said person uh, says something to offend number two. If there's not that ability, uh, because one has to be right and one has to then be wrong, the second part of relationship trumps being right is if I mess up, Hmm. I will acknowledge it and I will do what I need to do to make it right. That's a huge responsibility. And so I'm, I'm working with couples where saying I'm sorry, seeking forgiveness, and granting forgiveness 
is totally irrelevant. They mm -hmm. never do it. I remember working with a couple a while back, and we were talking about this, and uh, they were getting married. And I asked him, uh, you know, how did you do uh, forgiveness in your home? He said, not very well. And then I looked at her, and I said, uh, can you say I'm sorry? And she had fire in her eyes, and she said, I never say I'm sorry. Can you imagine well, trying to do a relationship that way? No. It doesn't work. No. So we had lengthy, lengthy conversations about that whole construct and what it looks like. Now you have to move outside of your family of origin thought process and say, hey, I'm going to do this different. Mm -hmm. So I, every once in a while I still see them, and uh, um, I'll just look at her and say, did you say I'm sorry this week? <laughs> Just shakes her. But she's learning. Right. And they're working on it. And they're doing well in their relationship. I just find that our way of doing things is uh, uh, we don't even care about recycling. If that relationship goes south for whatever the reason, we just move on. Mm. Uh, we do it in friendships. Uh, we do it in relationships that are going beyond that, and we do it in marriage, too. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work very well, mm -mm. and it's become destructive mm -hmm. to people all over. Right. Well, and before we were recording, too, to go along with that, to, to talk about that there is the perception sometimes that, well, it's not like that in a Christian marriage mm -hmm. or a Christian relationship, and I appreciated what you had to say about that, and I think it's, I think it's important. <laughs> Um, that Christian re Christian relationships wouldn't wouldn't yeah, have those and, same kinds of problems. And that was an actual uh, comment made to me in a meeting with others who had retired from active ministry. And and as I was talking about uh, working with couples, uh, getting married, and so on, and talking about some of the issues that mm -hmm. they were facing, uh, the comment was, "Well, if you're working with Christian couples, they don't have those problems." And uh, needless to say, that is a very false reality. Right. Christians are broken people who have been forgiven, but we still mess up. Mm -hmm. And we can do it as easily in a relationship as anybody else. Right. And if in that relationship it's more important to be right uh, than to do the relationship, we're going to fail just as quickly as mm -hmm. anybody else. I uh, think what you, what another layer of that is to appear right, that you don't want to appear like there's nothing, that there's something wrong within your relationship. So it, not even between the two people, but between that couple and the world. Well, we can't say that we're dealing with these things because, well, we're a Christian couple and we're not supposed to deal with that. So then I feel like there's this shame sometimes around where then things don't get dealt with because of that shame. Do you understand what I'm saying? And understand that the narrative of Genesis 1 and 2, there was no blame, there was no shame, mm. and uh, there was no guilt. Mm -hmm. That happens in Genesis chapter 3. Uh, it always intrigues me when God calls out to Adam and says, where are you? And Adam says, we're hiding because we are ashamed where Genesis 1 and 2 says they were naked, and there was no shame. Mm -hmm. uh, then uh, Adam says, God, remember that woman you <laughs> gave me? 
She made me do it. Mm -hmm. So there's blame. Mm -hmm. And we keep perpetuating those kinds of things. And somehow we aren't good learners. Because mm. <laughs> we keep doing it. Uh, so it's, it's nothing new. I just wish that we could learn to do it better mm -hmm. uh, in our building relationships as friends. Mm -hmm. One of the friendships I told you about earlier, he was, he was my closest friend. He was from church. And I remember that his sister got pregnant. She was 16. Mm. All of a sudden, she was gone. Mm. Mm -hmm. Nobody talked about it. She was sent away to have the baby so that nobody would know. That's not healthy. No. It's not healthy for the family. It's not healthy for the sibling. And ultimately, it just puts this load of guilt on us mm -hmm. that why do we want to do that? Christians have an internal ability via the Spirit to work through some of this stuff. We've got to be willing to listen. And that's part of communication. Mm -hmm. Communication is verbal, it's tone, it's nonverbal, but the biggest part is listening. We have one tongue and two ears. Mm -hmm. The reason we have <laughs> one one and two of the other is because we need to learn how to use the two ears, mm -hmm. and we don't do that very well. Mm -hmm. I was a communications major, and they always said that the best communication happens when you're seeking to understand, not mm -hmm. seeking to be understood. I, I think about that a lot. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. But I think that fits in perfectly with the whole idea of building the relationship mm -hmm. over being right. right. Because the person who has to be right isn't, uh, they don't care if he's understood mm -hmm. or doesn't care if they understand the other person right. being right. Mm -hmm. So I think uh, that makes a lot of sense. Is there anything else that we haven't talked about yet that you wanted to make sure that we touched on? Forgiveness. We don't do it well. Uh, we need to work on it. Peter asked Jesus how many times, and he thought he was really stepping out when he said seven times. And Jesus said, no, 70 times seven, which is huge. Mm -hmm. I like to think about the idea of forgiveness as being ongoing. Uh, if you get to 490 and you haven't figured it out, then slip into 491 and mm -hmm. two, it's ongoing. Mm -hmm. And when a person or a, uh, in a friendship or as a couple in a family, uh, you are in conflict, to be willing to say, I am sorry. I hear a lot of times people say, sorry. Mm. They don't want to take personal responsibility for mm -hmm. it. So to be able to say, I am sorry, will you forgive? And then to say, I forgive you. Mm -hmm. And the I forgive you has a period at the end, an exclamation at a point. It doesn't have a but or an, or an and or an if, mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, because <laughs> as soon as you put those on the mm -hmm. end. You're really you, not sorry. You've negated it. Mm -hmm. And so the, the process of doing conflict and resolving conflict, the scripture says don't let a sun go down on your anger, uh, which suggests and I affirm that coming to the end of the day to resolve conflict is really a good idea. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it doesn't happen. So it, it's a process. Sometimes we need help in doing that. And what I would say to anybody listening is 
because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're not going to have conflict, you're not going to have struggles in your relationship. And if you can't get through them, get help. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if it's not from your pastors, uh, find a good counselor that can help you navigate the issues because the problem that you're facing may not be the problem. Mm-hmm. The problem mm-hmm. you're facing may come from what you learned growing mm-hmm. up and you haven't gotten rid of that. So right. there's a lot of things that, you know, they just kind of pile up. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. Yes. Those, those are, t- as you were talking, there were two things I thought of that are important for us to acknowledge that, that counseling is good. And totally. if you need it, you should seek it out. Correct. And the relationships that we're talking about are relationships where there is not harm coming to the other person. Absolutely. I want to acknowledge that we're not talking about abusive relationships. We're talking about relationships where both people are safe. And that's that's another profound topic that we could get into. My comment on that is simply there is no place in a relationship for abuse. Right. That's verbal, that's emotional, that's spiritual, and that's physical. Mm-hmm. And uh, some people might ask what spiritual abuse is. We could go off on that. Right. But spiritual abuse Exists. is very real. Mm-hmm. So. Right. So this is called the Retreat House Podcast. So there are two questions that I ask all of my guests. The first one is, because it's called Retreat House, how do you retreat? What does that look like? Is it a place? Is it a practice? What does that look like for you? Uh, I'm an extrovert. Mm-hmm. And I don't sit still very long. Seeing me sit still for <laughs> yeah, this amount of time. Well, you haven't you, even you, really. There's been lots of adjusting this, and yeah, moving. Kicking your table. <laughs> um, I have tried retreat situations mm-hmm. and have struggled with them. Not that they aren't important. They are. Uh, I've gone to retreat places. Mm-hmm. I find for me driving. Mm-hmm maybe with music on, is very much a retreat. I listen, I think, I pray without closing my eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Important when you're yeah. um, And I, to a certain extent, uh, I blame it on extroversion uh, because I retreat by being with people. Mm. I learn from them, I grow from them, uh, I grow through worship. But it is not in any way to negate the significance of a retreat house and getting away. I've just not found that the primary way for me to do it. Mm -hmm. No, I totally identify with that as an extrovert as well. (laughs) And this year I feel like God's calling me to silence and solitude, which makes me want to, I don't know what to do with that, but just to try it as a practice to just experience that and see, to to, to try that on, I guess. There's probably a piece of what you're doing that I should have tried. I, I did. I, you know, there's there was real value. Mm-hmm. Um, I used it for personal stuff. I also used it for when I was a senior pastor, planning out a sermon um, for uh, months to come, and all those mm-hmm. kind of things. So there's value in it. It's just mm-hmm. not something that uh, I have followed through on in the right way. So uh, please don't misunderstand. I encourage it. Yeah, no, but what I appreciate is that, and why I ask the question is because retreat looks different to different people. And I never want people to think, oh, like the box we were talking about that we try to put God in that, oh, this is what retreat is. Retreat is only in a hut, in the woods, by myself, 
that's only what retreat looks yeah. like. And I don't think that's true. No. I think there are yep. different ways people retreat. Yep. And my other question is we like to celebrate weird in my family. So if you were to use the hashtag celebrate weird to describe something about yourself, what would that be? I have two things that come to mind. Mm-hmm. One is I thoroughly enjoy uh, restoring antique furniture from ugly to beautiful. Mm-hmm. And people think that's a little weird, and uh, it's not something I would ever have dreamed of doing. <laughs> but uh, I developed a friendship. His business was refinishing antique furniture, mm-hmm. so I did it for 20 years with him. Wow. It was really kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> I miss that now. I don't have mm-hmm. a place to do it. But it's something I, I still would like to do. Mm-hmm. The second to uh, celebrate weird is I have a classic car. My favorite time of year is when the spring has come, we've had two good rains, and I can take it out, and I can just go cruise. Mm-hmm. That's solitude for me, just mm-hmm. kind of being out there in the breeze and... And what is your classic car? I have a 1984 Camaro. Mm-hmm. It has T-tops, so I can really experience the breeze. Right. And I like motorcycles, but I prefer four wheels under me, mm-hmm. so I take the car. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the podcast to talk about this really broad <laughs> topic, to come along and try to put some legs under some things that people can do to try to do relationships better. Thanks for the opportunity. I hope it connects. Uh, if there's questions that come your way, let me know. Let's okay. uh, we'll talk more. Sounds great. Thank Already. you. Thanks, Angie. Thank you for listening to the Retreat House podcast. Any links mentioned in the show can be found in the show notes. We want to thank Isaac Turley for his music at the beginning and end of the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. And we'll see you next week on the Retreat House Podcast. Thank you.